Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, uh, I'd like to announce the uh, this year's uh, winner of the staff door decorating competition. Through the most unscientific and unreliable polling method possible, this year's award goes to the front door, which belongs to Amanda and Kathy, so give it up for them. <clears throat> Thanks to the staff for, for uh, doing that. I think it brought a little life to our, our, our church, and uh, we have, if we decide to do that again, we have already committed ourselves to a much more reliable polling method, okay? You know, very early in our walk with Jesus, Karen and I were influenced by an author named Ann Kimmel. And many years ago, she released a, a book called I Love the Word Impossible. And we loved her way. We loved her. This is a short book, but she just would tell these kind of whimsical stories about her walk with Christ in the world. And and, and it was fresh to us, this, this sense of that he was so near and everything was just so normal to just walk around with Jesus. And it was really inspiring and I think in a lot of ways formative to us. And as I said, the name of her book was I Love the Word Impossible. And her, the phrase that she developed was, I love the word impossible because I have a giant of a God living inside of me. And uh, that just really had an impact on us in a very special way, I think. And in, in, in a very real way, I think it helped Karen and I to become more comfortable with the word impossible. We became just more, more comfortable uh, with the word impossible, and what came from that is we became unafraid to commit ourselves to things that were would otherwise seem difficult, if not impossible. And so here we are, very young adults, with kind of just from a circumstantial way, a lot of the odds stacked against us, you know, in terms of getting going and, and really having a chance of anybody giving us an opportunity to, to minister to them. And uh, we just sort of never looked at that. And we just unapologetically move forward with a, with a sense of following what, what we understood to be God's will for our lives. And along the way, we faced difficult situations, situations that might be, might be termed by some, that's impossible, you're never going to pull that off. And so here we are in college and we're already having a family, and, and, you know, we catch this. Seven years later, I graduated with a master's degree, uh, Master of Divinity degree, and Karen graduated with her nursing degree, and we felt, we felt so bad because in that time, we had amassed $1,000 worth of debt. Yeah, you heard me right. We graduated with those degrees with $1,000 worth of school loans. I know. And why? Because we love the word impossible, because we have a giant of a God living inside of us. And we saw him do many, many, many great things uh, through that time. And if you think about Jesus, 
He really seemed to, <clears throat> excuse me, specialize in, in impossible things, didn't he? I mean, is it possible for a human being to walk on water? Well, well, no, of course not. You've got a lot of physics at play there, don't you? You've got gravity, you've got density, you've got surface tension, you've got all kinds of things that unless he was extremely fast, that it would not be possible for him to walk on water. But with him, it was possible, yes? And, um, I mean, is it really possible to feed 5,000 men and their families with a single bag of groceries? I mean, that's not really possible, is it? But with him, it was possible. And is it possible to raise the dead? Is it possible to walk up to a dead body? Or even more, a body that had been in the tomb for days. Is it possible to walk up and cause that dead body to come back fully to life? And it's like, no, it's not possible. But with him, it was possible. So it was kind of impossible, right? It changes, it changes everything. Today we're in this third passage that was just read for you by Eric in the Advent celebration, this walk toward the full appreciation and celebration of Jesus' birth. And we're in, the scripture is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And I'm especially interested, as you probably guessed, in verse 37. When the angel says to Mary, for nothing is impossible with God. That with him, it changes everything, including what is possible. And as we move through this, this Advent series and share this same passage of Scripture with so much of the rest of the global church, and I've told you how much I love just to be anchored into the rest of the church around the world, that as we look at this, um, we're, we're also in this, this third candle, which is sometimes called the candle of Annunciation, the pink candle is Mary's candle. It's called the, the, the Annunciation candle because it really celebrates the announcement of this angel to the Virgin Mary that she would be the one to bring the Christ child into the world. And we've been focusing, as you know, in this Advent season on the subject of hope and how each one of these passages brings its own kind of hope into our lives. And the, the first week, of course, was with the prophet Isaiah that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that's Christ, as it goes on to say. And there's a hope that comes when God just pierces our darkness. And you're in those dark times. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. You're in some dark times. And the hope comes when you just invite God to come in and, 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 and turn some light on for you, right? And then last week, we looked at John the Baptist. When he, he comes with his big announcement, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And how the word repent is, is a message of hope. Because when God calls us to repent of our sin, he's saying, I have hope for you, man. There's, there's, there's stuff I have sown inside of you, and, and sin is blocking it. So repent of that. And so he has a hope for us of releasing the unrealized potential that God has put inside of us. And so the word repent, the message of repentance, 
is, is a message of great hope. And today, we just look at this passage and we see that with this announcement, that nothing is impossible with God, that that brings hope to us, doesn't it, for the impossible situations that we face in life from time to time. Now, the context of this passage for us is, of course, in the opening parts of the Gospel of Luke. And for those of you who are newer, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are called Gospels. And Gospel means good news. And uh, these four books are the, the various renderings from four different points of view of the life of Christ. Luke, in particular, is the guy who likes detail. And he tries not to miss detail. And so, in the Gospel of Luke, is the only Gospel of the four that we find this account of the Annunciation. In fact, Matthew is the only one that deals with, with much of the birth of Christ at all. Mark and John kind of get going later on in the story. But we have Luke here, and what's happened so far is that there's, there's a description of this prophetic announcement to a, an old couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they would be the ones, even in their old age, to bring John the Baptist into the world. Now that conception would be more, by more normal means, if you will, by comparison, but that this is, this is where we are. This announcement has been made. And so then we get to our passage in verse 26 where it says, in the sixth month. And as a, as a Bible studier, what should be your first question? In the sixth month of what, right? So this, this is context. Well, what just happened was the announcement that, that Elizabeth would bear John the Baptist into the world. So it was in the sixth month of her pregnancy. So she's six months pregnant. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now, it appears that when you want to have a job done right, you send Gabriel. And Gabriel came to a virgin, a young woman. This, uh, this particular word is um, uh, not only a reference to her age, most likely a teenager, but also uh, this particular word is in reference to her inexperience in matters of intimacy, if I can just leave her there, okay? And uh, she was a virgin, uh, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, they were in a condition called betrothal, which was a very formal kind of a deal. This is not something you, you may as well have been married, you just haven't had the wedding day yet, so to speak, in, in terms of the, the legality of the relationship. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. This is the kind of thing that you want to hear early on from an angel, right? Because as you can see, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Because when an angel appears in your life, this can be a very good day or this can be a very bad day, right? As we know from reading our Bibles. And so the angel says, don't worry, don't be afraid. This is a good day. But still she goes, how good is, can it be? Because God sent the angel Gabriel to me, and she knows about Scripture, and how good can this really be? So she's still troubled. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. Oh, whew. That's a relief. But look what happens next. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. 
This is a very troubling word for a teenager. The announcement of this angel to Mary is, you have found favor with God. You are about to be an unwed pregnant teenager. How is this good news? How can this possible? Well, goes on to describe what's happening here. He'll be great. He'll be called Son of the Most High. Well, what? Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over his house of Jacob. His kingdom will never end. Well, judging from what Mary said next, I doubt if she heard any of that last part. I think she was immediately distracted by some very practical questions, right? And she said, her answer was, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? I know the things about this. I know the birds and the bees. I know about conception. I know how this works. How can this be? So I doubt if she ever heard any of that kingdom, son of the most high David stuff at all, because she was waiting for the angel to take a breath so that she could ask her most important question, and the angel answered, oh, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you'll be with child. Well, what does that even mean? Well, how does, what do you mean, come upon me? That doesn't really answer the question. She's in a tough spot. Holy one to be born will be called Son of God. But answering her question about how can this be since I am a virgin, she's saying this would be impossible. He references Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. So if God can do this with someone who is that old, well, he can do this with someone who is this young. And he says, she's already in her sixth month. And she who was said to be barren never had children. It's in her sixth month. And then the big line, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. How satisfied was she with this answer? I wish I knew the tone of her voice when she said these next words. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. No matter how you read this story, you cannot escape this categorical statement made by the angel that with God nothing is impossible. And this is a great hope for us. It's a source of hope for us in our lives, is it not? If nothing is impossible for God, and if, as the scriptures say, that we by the blood of Jesus Christ are sons and daughters of this living God, then when we face the impossible, seemingly impossible situations in our lives, this is a source of great hope that nothing is impossible with God. <coughs> I want you to notice a few things about this concept of nothing being impossible with God with me. First of all, I want you to notice that there's a Critical kind of progression, if the curtains will reveal my next slide. I love that transition. Okay. There's a <laughs> critical progression that unfolds when we find ourselves 
facing the impossible. It's something by progression. I mean, it's something that starts small and becomes larger as we go through it. And this progression begins with uh, um, a confident realization, understanding uh, of the fact that God can. It just begins with God can. What God, you know, what can't God do, right? I mean, if any part of this is true, this God who sits enthroned over a universe that defies our smartest intelligence, um, it, then God can do anything, yes? God can do absolutely anything. There's a lovely uh, passage about this in Genesis chapter 18, if you want to flip your Bibles back there. For those of you who are new, that's the first book of the Bible. So Genesis chapter 18. Um, way in the back, there's this, this situation where God sends these angels, these visitors, as they are described to Abraham and Sarah, and uh, with the announcement that even in their old age, they're going to they're gonna give birth. And now, by this time, Abraham's going on 100 and uh, Sarah's just a decade behind him there, so it it's, looks pretty bleak. But the thing is, just a few chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 15, God had made this promise to Abraham that he would be the one through whom the whole world was blessed, that his seed would bless the world, and it's through Abraham that Jesus came. But here they are, you know, <laughs> they're, they're like AARP on steroids, right? I mean, they're gone. They're at the end, and... Uh, and, 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 and nothing's happening, nothing's happening, and uh, there's no baby. God made this tremendous promise that, I love the way he did this, he said, he said you, I'm going to bless the world through you, and he said, but I don't have any kids, he goes, well, step outside your tent, and he, I love this, he says, look up into the sky, starry night in Palestine, you know, look up into the sky, what do you see? He says, oh, I see stars, well, why don't you count those stars? Who, can, who could possibly ever keep count of the stars that are even visible to us? And, and God says to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And so this promise, they're living in the, some kind of faith of this promise. And then in chapter 18, these three visitors come and they say, this time next year, you're going to have your first baby. And Sarah, Sarah laughs. Ha! <laughs> I think it went. Ha! You gotta be kidding me. Check it. Let's pick it up in about verse 11 of Genesis 18. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. And God says, perfect. That's how I like to roll, right there. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old. I love that, my master thing. I wonder if we could impose that on our church. I love that phrase. What do you think, hon? I think we'll just move on. And my master is old. Will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the great question, isn't it? It's like, sure, your circumstances look this way, 
But no matter what, God can. And your hope begins by focusing on that truth that God can. And then it moves on to God might, right? You're facing this impossible, well, you know God can because nothing is too hard for him. And then, well, God might. In John 14, verse 12, Jesus made this audacious statement. He said, I tell you the truth, if anyone has faith in me, do you have faith in Jesus? Well, he said, if anyone has faith in me, he will do what I have been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And so Jesus is saying that because of what I'm about to do, the going to the Father, meaning through the cross, he's going to die for us. He's going to rise from the dead. He's going to ascend to the Father. And the Father is going to return himself to us by way of his Holy Spirit. That because of all that, that we will be able to do not only what Jesus has done, which would be plenty good enough, right? But even greater things than these. So what this does is it immediately creates a sense of potential, right? Wait a minute. Not only God can, but God might. This could be true. How many of you like me you know, want to believe that, right? Seriously? And so it, it moves us to God might. And then the third step in this progression of, of faith is that God will. God will. And you get to a place where hope comes when you, when you come to the place of beginning to believe by his spirit that God will. In Luke chapter 5, uh, this is played out for us, you know, because as we pray in these impossible situations, we're always, well, I want to ask for that, but is God willing, right? How many of you, right? You've been there, right? And is, is, that, is that what God wants? And that same question was asked in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns... A man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. This is a very personal passage for some of us in this church. Because there were, I think, about a dozen of you on a trip to India with us. And we customarily go to Bargur, a city, a small town, I should say, where there's a leper colony. And some of you were with me in that part of the compound when we walked up and this, everyone is so poor and the, the, the housing is so, so spartan, so horrible, really. And we send all kinds of things there, by the way, to help these people. And I have many pictures of some of you handing those blankets. One of my favorites is Leanne, who was singing here just a minute ago, just handing a blanket to uh, a leper. And we were walking around. I remember the backside, and there was this man, and he was sitting there. And he had his, had his foot in a five-gallon pail, so you couldn't see and we didn't speak one another's language, but I remember walking up to him and making eye contact with him. And he pulled his foot up out of the pail. And I, I won't 
I'll spare you the description, but it wasn't pleasant. And he started asking me something that I couldn't understand, and we had someone with us who spoke the language, and he was asking me to take him home with me. Would I, would I take him? Now, Karen and I are very willing, but we don't have the capability. So we had the willing, but we didn't have the can. And so best we could, we blessed that guy and loved that guy and prayed for that guy. But it's not a lot of hope, is it? When you ask somebody if they will, if they can't. But our hope in impossible situations is not limited by the can part. So when we go to the Lord and say, are you willing, Lord? It is already predicated on the knowledge that he can. And so you're asking, is this a good thing, Lord? 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, this is the assurance, that, this is the hope that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. His willingness, he hears us. And it says, he goes on to say, and we know that if he hears us, we have what we ask of him. So there's a part of our lives, isn't there, beloved, that The intimacy that we have with the Lord, our encounter with the Lord, our prayer life, our secret prayer life, which is sometimes crazy wild and sometimes just so mundane, but we just keep pressing in. What that does as we become more aware of the Scriptures, as we become more experienced in the Holy Spirit, we we just get a sense of His will, don't we? We just have a greater sense of what He would want in this situation. And so there are many times when we can get all the way to the end of this progression where we say, God can, God might, God will. And and there is a flood of hope that comes to us in those impossible situations, is there not, when we discover that God, God will. Now this progression, I want you to notice by the top arrow of my diagram, is fueled forward by an increasing expression of faith. That it starts out small. It doesn't take a lot of faith to say, well, God can, right? That's almost logical. It just takes faith to believe that there's a God. And if there's a God, then God can, of course. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And that's where the band gets a little bigger when you go to the second place, right? And so there's this sense of of faith that begins, but it gets bigger as we release faith. In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, uh, I'll tell you the truth, if if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and, and it will move. It says, then nothing will be impossible for you. So as you begin to release faith, and you have that inside of you, in the word, in the reality, you begin to decide to have faith in that truth, then the band gets bigger, right? You release more faith. Now, I want to tell you something. You have all the faith that you need to move mountains. 
I want, you you exercise, it's inside of you, and you exercise faith every single moment of every single day. You're exercising faith right now. And let alone faith in God or faith that I might possibly stumble on truth or whatever, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about that you are a natural releaser of faith. Take a breath. I dare you to take a breath in faith. You just released so much faith in taking that breath. You took that breath, did you not? Having this sort of um, background faith that this gas, that there's some invisible gas, right? There's something in the atmosphere, right? That's, that we're breathing in. What? And this atmosphere has oxygen in it. Oh, and you're releasing this faith that's saying, well, as I inhale that oxygen, it's going to pass by these alveoli in my lungs, these, these semi-permeable membrane, and they're going to make a friendly little exchange, right? And this invisible oxygen is going to go into my bloodstream, hello? And oh, by the way, as I exhale, it's going to get rid of the carbon dioxide, right? How many of you believe that? Jared, you certainly believe this, right? This is not a stretch. This was sixth grade at best, right? And, but isn't it an act of faith? You, you have faith in so much more than biology when you take your breath. And you have well, more biology. You have faith in something called photosynthesis, right? Do you know this? You have, every breath you draw, you have faith that there are plants somewhere in the world who are taking all of this expelled carbon dioxide and they're sitting in the sunlight, being plants, and as the sunlight comes, something happens inside of them. They start sucking in carbon dioxide, going, thank you people, right? And then this process and chlorophyll and all this stuff starts happening. And, and then they take a breath out. And what do they exhale? Oxygen. What? What? They, they breathe in our junk and give us what we need? Is that for real? Is it? And you have faith in photosynthesis. Oh, not only do you have faith in photosynthesis, you have faith in astronomy. You have faith that, the, that this earth is going around the, the sun and it's spinning at a thousand miles an hour and you're on it. And by the way, when it gets to a certain place in its orbit, it kind of tilts a little bit. And as it tilts, that where it was winter, it's now summer, and where it was summer, it's now winter. And it's a half and half kind of a deal. So that when it's our turn to make oxygen, we have leaves on the trees. Ta-da! But then it's not our turn to make oxygen. It's our turn for our plants to rest. God's beginning to rest. We'll get into that in January. And, and God's beginning to rest. And so he lets all of those plants rest. And he goes to the other part that's tilted and says, okay, well now it's your turn to make oxygen. And because of something called equilibrium, then the oxygen that's made way down there finds its way to us up here. And you have faith in all of this. How do I know you have faith? Because you don't worry about your next breath. I doubt if any of you are looking around and you're going, 
sure hope there's enough air in here for all of us. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Shall we take a break? <laughs> are you getting this right? You are a person of faith. Not all of you ate breakfast, but I reckon probably most of you have eaten in the last 24 hours. Put something in your mouth, chewed it 25 times, swallowed it. Well, you did that because of a desire in you, but you had faith in things that maybe you can't even explain. I reckon all of you drove here today. You had faith. Green light. How many of you stopped at a green light and went, went straight on through having faith that the other sides were red and that the people were smart enough to stop? That's a lot of faith, isn't it? See, you have faith. And so what we're talking about here is the release of faith intentionally toward the word of God, toward the things that the Bible says are true. And as you release that faith intentionally, the bottom arrow also increases your sense of hope in the impossible, in times of impossibility, increase. You might be wondering, but what about the times when I pray for impossible things and it doesn't happen? That's such an excellent question because it's true. God doesn't do the seemingly impossible thing you ask for. I don't think that's what this is mostly about. I think the promise is not necessarily that God will always do exactly as we ask, but that the promise is that God will carry us through the impossible. Now, I don't think that it should ever cause us to shrink back from asking for the thing that's in our heart to ask for, ever, ever. Don't ever be shy of saying, but God, could it be this way? But I think the promise here is that as we release this faith that God will carry us through. Because we're not actually ever going to tell God what to do, are we? We're going to ask. And he's always going to answer. And I know from this passage and others that the one thing that you can always count on from God is hope. The thing that carries you through. Times of impossibility. You know, Ann Kimball said she loved the word impossible because she has a giant of a God living inside of her. Well, my version of this concept is I love the word impossible because through him all things are possible. And this word impossible, I'm usually not this clever, but this word impossible comes at the convergence of two words. Tom, that was amazing. The convergence of God's hope, a hope that comes from knowing that I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. 
The convergence of the reality that God can do the impossible. And we all have stories of the impossible in our lives. Many of us have stories. Among our own is that two of our children should not have survived. One was born three pounds, five ounces. The other, two pounds, four ounces. This was in a day, it's not even as advanced in taking care of these little babies as it is today. And both of them did survive. And these things taught us to believe that with God all things are possible. So you might be wondering, how do I change the impossible situations of my life into the impossible situations of my life? Number one, identify it. I want you to identify the impossible. Be very specific. Here is what it looks like to me, God. Here is what it looks like from from my perspective. Here is what I've tried that hasn't worked. Here is why I'm so ready to give up. Here is what seems impossible, and identify it ever so clearly. Be specific. Second, surrender it. Give it completely over to God. Okay, Before you start asking for how you think it ought to be, first just give it to God. You know, when our son Bruce was born, he wasn't expected to survive, and we were just kids ourselves, and our pastor was getting ready to go on a mission trip to Haiti, and we're just really brand new at getting truly serious about our walk with the Lord. And, and our pastor said, uh, don't worry, I've made provisions that, that if Bruce dies while I'm gone, Pastor Harlan will do the funeral. And we're like, what? why would you even say that? And I just became enraged. And I went to God in prayer and said, why would Charlie say that? Why? Why would he say if Bruce dies? I mean, I'd been reading a couple things that you're supposed to have faith and believe and you can move mountains, and so I would even say that, God. And I just, I just threw down with God. And we threw down with God. And we got to this place through this cathartic prayer time where we just said, God, this doesn't make any sense that you would give us this child to live a few days doesn't make any sense. But God, if in your wisdom, that's what you have in mind, we surrender to it. It was that night <gasps> that that little baby with a collapsed lung caught his breath when we surrendered it. Just surrender the impossible. Third, release faith for it. You know, faith is, is belief, but it's also trust, isn't it? Just release your faith for it. Just let it go. Just be intentional. God, I have faith in your word. I have faith in your ability. I have faith in your heart for humanity. I have faith in your love for me. And just say it out loud. Just have faith for it. Release faith for it. And then number four, receive your hope for it. Ask for it. God, would you give me hope? in this situation, in this impossible situation. I don't know how you're ever going to fix this, but could you give me hope? Unapologetically, just go with an empty bucket and ask him to fill it with hope. Well, let's take a few minutes this morning and deal with the impossible situations in your life. Let's changing, you know, changing your phrase, 
where you might very well be looking at some situation in your life and you're saying, oh, that's impossible. That's impossible. And let's see if we can just change that. So, you know, oh, that's impossible. God could do something. At the very least, he could give me a different perspective. He could give me hope, if not come and fix the thing altogether. So would you just bring to your mind now um, some impossible situation, or seemingly impossible, difficult, unfixable from your resources, would you just bring that to mind? Let's identify it before the Lord. Be as specific as you can. Tell God how it makes you feel. Just review with the Lord the things you've tried to fix this. Just, get, just kind of get it in between you and the Lord, just so it's the subject at hand. And then I'd just like for you in your heart to take your hands and push it over to the Lord, surrender it to him. Dang, this situation, this person, this disease, this financial hardship, this fear, this addiction, this whatever, just, just push it, make it the Lord's. The Bible says, cast all your care on him for he cares for you. Just push it, surrender it, say, give up, Lord. And then in doing that, would you release faith? What faith do you have? As this thing sits before God, do you, have, you at least have the faith to say, God, you, you can do something about this. You can do something. And you have the faith to go the next step. Lord, you, you might do something. I see it as, as in your nature, in your character, to want to do something. Maybe do you have enough faith to say, God, I believe you will. I believe you will deal with this impossible situation. I release my faith in what I know of you and what I know of your word. I release my faith in that now. Not my faith in my own abilities anymore, but my faith in your ability. And then would you just uh, receive your hope? Would you just open your heart Open the hands of your heart to the Lord and ask him to flood you with hope. Hope in the impossible. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will pour out your hope in this place now. I pray that for those people who are feeling so hopeless in, in facing the impossible, that you'd come and you'd hear their prayer. I know you have but you'd enable them by your spirit to lay it before you as a king, as a God of all resources, as a God of love and compassion. God, would you, would you just cause this to happen in such a way that people today who are otherwise feeling hopeless would be filled with your hope. Filled with your hope, Lord. Thank you, Father. We invite you to come now and move among us as you desire. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, will you stand with me, please? We have some prayer ministry people. Come on over to both sides and come on up and make yourselves available, please, to 
pray for people, and you can come and receive prayer from these people for anything. If, you, if you're dialing into this in such a way, you say, I really need hope for that. Just come up to these people and say, would you pray for hope for me? But it could be something entirely unrelated, entirely, completely unrelated to what I've been talking about. And you're saying, I, I still want prayer. You can come up to these people and they're going to ask you one simple question. What are we praying about? And you can tell them and receive prayer. Okay. Receive your hope, church. Let's worship the Lord.